I'm 0 for 10, I think I'm due. And when they're 0 for 10, they're questioning if they're ever, you know, questioning their abilities. If I was 5 for 5, I mean, I was confident. But when I was 0 for 5, I felt even more confident that I was that much closer to getting the hit. I think the worst thing you can do as a leader is pat them on the back, tell them what they're doing is going to lead them to where they want to get, and then failing them at the end. To younger players listening, younger college guys that are struggling, don't challenge your coaches, but don't be afraid to go in and have a conversation with them. Fellas, 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 welcome back to the Farm System Podcast, your home for baseball development. We're here for you, by you, and with you. I'm your co-host, Joey Cunha. And I'm Bo Callis. This podcast is designed for coaches, players, scouts, really anyone looking to further their development in the game of baseball. Here at the Farm System, we take pride in being lifelong learners, and we are here to be a bridge from where you are to where you're going. We appreciate those of you that took the step of ordering your Farm System tea and officially becoming part of the team. Due to the success, we're having a two-day flash sale. Visit the system.farm and use code FLASH01, all caps, to get your tea today for $15 plus free shipping. On this episode, Bo and I dive into mindset and what holds players, teams, and organizations back from winning and becoming elite. Hold on and watch your toes because we may ruffle some feathers on this one. Pull up a seat, grab your notepad, it's time for development. Welcome back to the farm system. Obviously, it's just me and Bo sitting down here. Today, we're talking about mindset and what it takes. And uh, it takes what it takes. Me and Bo say that all the time. But I think this was a big episode. Me and, me and uh, Bo sat down and we said, this is episode 10. And we want to recap everything and all of this, all of those messages, one through 10. And it's been a long journey. And you know, you guys have been along with us. Some of you guys have been with us from the very beginning. Some of you guys, this is your very first episode. Um, and you know, we welcome you, we welcome you here. You're back in the team. Every veteran was once a rookie, and we appreciate you guys back. So, Bo, what do you think, you know, mindset was? What do you think the biggest thing that holds players back from being that top level, let's say, you know, the top 1% of baseball players? What holds them back? You know, in my opinion, over the course of my career and, and seeing some of these guys from the coaching side, personally, I think the biggest thing is handling adversity and failure, which is kind of what Diamond touched on a few weeks ago. But the, the the game of baseball is one of extreme failure. And, you know, when when you ask your friends, you know, what, what age did you quit playing baseball? I think most of them say, you know, 12, 13, because I sucked and it was boring. I couldn't hit. And I think that I think that really it, it burns kids out, you know, at a young age. And I, I think it separates high school from college and then college to pro and then pro to, to, to big leaguers is your ability to handle failure. I don't know about you, but it, it, it just seems like mentally it takes a toll on guys. But I don't know. What 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 do you think? Well, yeah, I think, I mean, I think you touched on a great point there. I think, I think it's the ability. Baseball is a great correlation, in my opinion. You know, and you hear people say this all the time. It's a great correlation with life, you know. And, but I mean, I don't think there's too many people that actually correlate that over to to life. And I think, you know, a big thing that I try to do is just like, you know, when you're in math class, and, you know, we're all in math class and we're taking, you know, calculus or algebra or whatever. And, uh, you know, we're doing this, we're doing this equation and, we're, and you, somebody raises their hand in class and they're like, hey, how does this relate to my life? Like, when am I going to use this? And the teacher's kind of like, sit down, shut up, kid. Like, <laughs> you know, I don't want to answer that question, you know, you know, and, so, and great teachers sometimes. And I think the great teachers and, and also this correlates with coaches know how to correlate what you're doing and where you're spending your time. Um, with life and it kind of keeps you going. And I think um, maybe some of my experience of kind of diving over into the business world, and I know, um, Bo, you've kind of related some of the things in your life over to it as well, is it's it's kind of like a sales, you know, it's like a sales deal. You know, you go talk to 10, you go talk to 10 different businesses and seven of them are going to say no, you know, but the problem is it's just like hitting is, you know, sometimes you, you've gone and you talk to somebody and first off, we hate the word no, we hate the word, we hate failing, right? Yeah. We hate yeah. adversity. It's not natural for our bodies. You know, we want to do what's comfortable. We want to do, it's not natural mentally um, to go chase after things we're not good at. I think when it comes to that, you know, we, you, you do your, you're like, okay, you know what? You have all this enthusiasm. You're all motivated. You see all these guys crushing baseballs, all these big leaguers, and you go out there and you take your first AB and you don't touch a ball. 
right? You go to your second AB and you absolutely crush a ball and a guy catches it. Then you go your next AB and the umpire freaking rings you up on a ball in the dirt. And then you go your next AB and, um, you know, a guy makes a diving play and, um, you know, you're out again. And then you'd go to the next AB and you strike out and you go to your next AB and you strike out. And then you go to your next AB and you're thinking about your other two strikeouts. So you strike out again. And then all of a sudden, you know, at some point you're 0 for 7 and you're thinking, well, I guess I'm never going to hit the baseball ever in my life. And maybe this isn't for me. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it, same thing in life. Like if you go that over and you think that with sales, if, if the sales guy, you know, he calls seven guys and they all say no, if he just quit, I mean, he wouldn't have a job. So yeah. um, I think that's a big part of it. Um, I, and, and but I think me and you have talked about this before. It's kind of like the, the mindset is always different with these winners and these elite guys. These elite guys, I, I think, who was, who was the, um, God, I'm spacer right now, Bo. Who's the, the DH, the, the known DH of like all time, other than David Ortiz, of course. Edgar um, Martinez? Uh, yes. I, I, he, I, I believe it was his quote when he said, the difference between me and you know, younger players is that when, I, um, you know, when I'm 0 for 10, I think I'm due. And when they're over 10, they're questioning if they're ever, you know, questioning their abilities. And Absolutely. I think that's the, the difference of the mindset there. I mean, you know, you've talked about it a couple of times on some of the things that you're talking about with your mindset and with some of your failure. But do you think, can you think of a time specifically where you had to change your perspective to get you to keep competing and keep doing those, you know, get, get your head back where it needed to be? Yeah, that's, that's a great point. And that quote by Edgar Martinez that was relatable going into my senior year. I mean, you look at my numbers when I played at Utah Valley, I hit 200 as a career and a lot of people thought I was a bad hitter. And the adjustment that I made, it was, uh, I actually posted the video on, on Twitter. I don't know if any of you guys follow me there, but going into the conference tournament, 0 for 18, you know, I'm, I'm an All-American, I'm doing all this cool stuff and I'm 0 for 18. Uh, Utah Valley Bowl would have been pressing. It would have been a, a, a numbers game because baseball is a numbers game, like you mentioned. But it's the way you view those numbers. You know, when I was over 18 at Utah Valley, I needed a hit this time. When I was over 18 that year, it was I'm one at back closer to getting the hit. You know, yeah. that simple adjustment for me, it was weird. If I was five for five, I mean, I was confident, but I almost had to train myself to when I was over five, I felt even more confident that I was that much closer to getting the hit. And, and that's, and that's a crazy, that's a crazy mindset. What, what helped you make that, that transition mentally? I think the biggest thing was understanding that baseball is an extreme teachable or a life lesson game. That's so many things that can translate to life. And when I finally said these experiences, it's an, it's an opportunity, you know, it's, 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 it's a blessing to be in this moment and to embrace that stuff as, you know, I get to do this. No, why, why press? I get to do this. This is another opportunity to be great today. Whereas before I felt like I had to, you know, I was obligated to do this because I'm getting an opportunity instead of, I get to do this. Why, why press? And I think when I made that adjustment, it it really just allowed me to free up my abilities. You know, my ability started to play for me instead of against me. No, and, I, I think, I think I've mentioned that before with you as I think when I was younger, I think my greatest enemy was my mind. And mm-hmm. as I got older, I think my greatest attribute was my mind, Absolutely. you know, and it's so it, that's a, such a hard transition because it's not, it's not like a, a light switch, you know, everybody, every, I think everybody kind of feels like it's like a light switch. Like one day everything's just going to click. I mean, it didn't, it didn't happen that way for me. I don't know if it happened that way for you, but it was more of like a transition um, slowly, you know, maybe conversation by conversation, you know, book by book you know, maybe playing with some great players and, and listening to them and watching baseball games and watching, you know, Mike Trout being 0 for 20 and, and watching how maybe he dealt with that and looking how confident he looks when he strikes out five times in a row and still being confident. I think, again, it was is a, it took a village, you know, yeah. it, it, it took a village of things. It took a village of people of talking to, it took a village of knowledge and, and, and a village of things. And um, it definitely was never a light switch, you know, mentality where I, I read one thing and I'm like, oh, that's all I needed. I'm good. Mm-hmm. You know, do you think that with that transition of your mindset, you know, what are what are some things like I, I kind of mentioned a couple there, too? Is there certain things that, you know, were big, maybe bigger than others, things that helped you transition to that? Was it a book? Was it a, a person that you talked to? Was it, a, you know, what was it for you? What are, what are some of the bigger things that really helped you? You know, it's kind of funny because I I was a big reader growing up. You know, my, my parents used to pay me to read books. 
And yeah. over time, I eventually yeah. just liked reading. But it's kind of funny because when I started to struggle, I fell away from that stuff. I fell away from trying to further my knowledge and strengthen my mind because I think a lot of players, they, they work so hard on their on training their abilities and getting in the weight room and, and getting reps and, and, and they forget to train their mind. And when, when I made the decision that if it's that big of, of a percentage mentally, man, I better start doing something to strengthen my mentality. I think a big thing was my network. Um, which I, which I know you, you know, you, you grew up in the academy and, and I did too. And, you know, I have people calling me saying, dude, you're the fourth rated prospect out of Utah and you're playing like you never even played baseball before. Like, what are you doing? And I think falling back on that and just realizing, man, I got to make some adjustments or else I'm going to, I'm going to miss out on, on all these abilities that I have to play the game and, you know, having people in your corner and understanding that that your mind, like you said, it can be your biggest strength or it can be your biggest, your biggest weakness. I think, I think realizing that it, it allowed me to take that step. I mean, you know, with you, I, I, I know you've gone through some tough things in your life and, and you overcame some pretty difficult and adverse moments in your life to, to not only play baseball, but to, to climb up to be a general manager at Planet Fitness. What tools and what, what things did you do to implement and come over those hard times and, and eventually be successful? Yeah, well, I mean, I think the initial reaction is when you ask that question is everybody wants this rainbow answer, right? That it was all pretty and I got through it and I just tried hard and <laughs> it was ugly, man. <laughs> like it was ugly, you know, even like what you're saying. I mean, I remember at that point when I, you know, became assistant manager and I became general manager and then I became regional manager and then I became regional manager of the second most profitable region of Planet Fitnesses in the United States. I remember looking back at one point, and that's why I made the transition to actually come back and coach. Because I remember looking back, because somebody asked me, you know, I had a lot of my GMs that were a lot older than me, and they asked me, like, hey, like every you have a track record of everywhere you've been. The club makes money, or the region makes money, or you know, there's there's success, right? A trail of success. Um, my GMs used to pick my brain, and they would say, what do you think, you know, got you there? And um, you know, it's funny when I used to reflect on that. It always came back to when I, when I traced it back is when I was younger, man, like I was soft. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I was just soft, man. I I just did, I did a lot of things, you know, affected me, um, how people thought of me. Um, if I, I was very defensive, um, you know, there's still things, obviously there's still things I battle through today. It's not like I'm perfect or anything and I've overcome everything. Yeah. There's times when I'm defensive. There's times when, you know, I'm, I'm being soft or, you know, as I would, you know, some people would say in certain situations, but you know, definitely, I think a big correlation to all that is just like you said, I think it comes back to that statement of like, show me who your mentors are and I'll show you who you're going to be in five years and 10 years and 15 years. Right. When I was at, like you said, and you mentioned there, like when I was at on deck baseball Academy in Vegas, like, man, we had Canseco in there every other day. We had, you know, Frank Thomas rolling in. We had, you know, we had all these pro guys that were up and coming. And some of these guys that obviously to make it to the level that they're at, they're pretty elite mindsetted. And I think a lot of those things is they used to challenge me. Uh, I think a big one is um, he, he passed away not too long ago. Um, so rest in peace to my man, Papo. But Papo, um, you know, in, in, in Vegas, he really mentally challenged me all the time. I remember when I was in high school, Bo, I don't know if you remember the time when someone said this to you, but he told me, he's like, you know, I, I was playing pretty good. You know, I was, I was second team all region in high school, um, you know, and I lost first team all region to Joey Gallo. And I thought I was, you know, I thought I was doing all right. And I remember, you know, he challenged me one day and he looked at me and he said, you know, Joey, the biggest thing with you is you need to get mentally tough. And I looked mm-hmm. at him like, I'm tough. Like I'm done the toughest thing. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm the toughest nails. Like, what are you talking <laughs> about? Like I'm born and raised, like I'm, I'm gangsta. You know, like that, that mm-hmm. was like my mindset that I was like so tough. And mm-hmm. when he said that to me, and it's funny that I look back now because I'm like, man, you were so soft. <laughs> you yeah. you didn't know how to push through adversity. When the game got tight, you know, you got tight. Your muscles got tight. Your mind got tight. You limit you you limited yourself so much. And in that moment, I thought, you know, because I had no perspective, I didn't understand what he meant. And he used to challenge me daily. And I mean, he was one of my biggest mentors when it came to mentally is he just constantly challenged me. You know, I remember when I was at the plate, this is some funny stuff, man. When I was at the plate, I remember hitting on scout teams with him and he'd be in the dugout sitting on the edge of the dugout. I could feel, I felt like he was breathing down my back Uh and he would just be like speaking Spanish and everything else and just throw him inside. He can't hit inside. Like, Uh like he's terrible. Like you don't need to mess around with the off speed. Just come at him. Like, you know, imagine that's your coach from your dugout. I'm like, Oh my goodness. You know, like, Mm -hmm. and 
he just challenged me so much mentally. And I remember, you know, there was a moment and the same thing too. He's yelling, throw him inside, throw him inside. And I'm like, okay, yeah, throw me inside and see what happens. Mm -hmm. And, uh, the guy threw me inside and I hit a ball off the fence. And but to be honest with you, just to tell you how uh, removed I was, I hit the ball and I thought I hit it out. So I pimped it and I almost got thrown out at second base. (laughs) (laughs) But it was just a funny story because it was a coach that, you know, if I look back, you know, it challenged me. I didn't agree with him at the time. I didn't have perspective. I thought I was mentally tough. I thought he was giving me a hard time. Like, I mean, I had even other players that were like, man, why is he always on you like that? And mm-hmm. I think that that comes back to like, you know, the, the mentorship of him knowing what he needed to do. Um, he needed to make me tougher. Yep. And, and sometimes, you know, again, we think it's always going to be rainbows and, but it's just like, you know, if it was that easy to develop your mind, you know, why, why do seals go through, through seal training? Like, mm-hmm. why do they go through things that, you know, would break any man? Why do they go in and out of the water? Why are they up for, why do they try to break their will by, you know, making them not sleep by making, basically making them go through adversity and go through things that they don't want to do. I mean, I was listening to the seal talk not too long ago on Joe Rogan's podcast, and he was talking about He's talking about how he would, when he wanted to start making himself mentally tough, what he started doing is he started doing things that he didn't want to do. So he started training himself like it'd be in the middle of the night, um, snowing outside and he'd be like, okay, it's like 3 a.m. I woke up in the middle of the night, like I have to go outside because I don't want to go outside. Mm -hmm. And like, that's a crazy mentality to have. But I think, I mean, in so many, you know, people want to be tough without going through tough situations. And I just think that, you know, a lot of times that's not how it works. I mean, it it can, you definitely can get some perspective and you can get some, you know, doing these other things, but it kind of comes back to when we we talked the other day about, you know, like like the the Cubans coming over and like why they're mentally tough. Like when you've been through some crazy stuff or you're a Dominican sleeping on your floor, a dirt floor every night, you know, it's hard to mimic that, you know, with any situation. I can't, I can't, we can't do mental toughness days one day a week with our teams and think that that's going to be it. You know, that, that that's going to fix everything. You know, like what, what is your take on, on mental toughness? You think it's, you know, something that needs to be incorporated every single day in practice. And if so, you know, how do you do that? And also what are some ways that you've seen it done? And, you know, how do you think we get better as that, as, you know, as we go forward? Well, for me, I think there's no greater teacher than experience. And it's like something that, you know, you, you can be as prepared as you want, but you're never going to be prepared until you're in that situation. So I think placing your athletes in high pressure situations, you know, whether that's in practice, whether it's in the weight room, whether it's in anything you do, you have to place them in, in, in high pressure situations. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot of coaches we've talked to, they've talked about creating competition and, and creating adverse situations. And I think you have to. I think the hardest thing for me, which, which I don't know about you, and I know you said you were soft. Um, and I think that's just kind of the, the younger age of baseball nowadays. It's like soft. Mm-hmm. We, we were just barely talking about it. It's, it's, you know, I'm owed something. So mm-hmm. once, w- once these kids get to college and all of a sudden they're in those situations, it's like, I'm going to shut down. Mm-hmm. And for me, I think the, the younger you can get it and, the younger that you are experiencing certain situations, I think the better you are. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously you have the guys like Harper and Machado who are just better than everybody else. But you have guys like Altuve. I mean, you know, he he basically harassed the Astros into signing him, you know. Yeah. He, he, yeah. he went there the first day and they said, get lost, you know. And then sure. they signed him for a bus ticket yeah. and you play. I think it's just harder. I think I think the younger kids nowadays are so entitled that the players and the coaches that understand it at a younger age, I I, I think they're better off. Do you, do you think though, like when okay, so this is kind of my thing too. I think something that I think I, I I'm kind of weary of is when we say, you know, like younger generations or like again that the entitlement. Do you think that? Uh, someone made a really good point the other day that like, you know, like nowadays, obviously when people face adversity, they want to jump ship, right? They want to go to another school. They want to go do whatever. This coach is a jerk, blah, 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 blah. But it, somebody made a great point the other day I was reading on Twitter is he said, you know, the difference He's like all these, all these people nowadays want to say kids nowadays are entitled. They're entitled. They, they want to jump ship. They have all these other things, but also too, do you also think that back in the day they didn't have as many options, you yeah. know, like where you kind of just had to stick it out because there was no other option. If there was an easier option, you would have done it. Absolutely. You know, 
but and, and so I think that plays part of it, it, it obviously with the culture that we've kind of created. Um, but also too, I mean, the, the hard part about entitlement, it, it also comes back to obviously with kind of God's message of, you know, we're not here to judge and these other things. Cause I always, always think about this, like, think about it. If me and you went to the Dominican, they would think me and you were entitled, right? Yeah, you know, and, it, and, and if you met, you met somebody on an Island in the middle of nowhere, that's never seen electricity. I mean, there's, there's something like, there's like a million people in the world that live without like clean water, you mm-hmm. know? So how often do we take that for granted? And yeah. so I think that, you know, I'm, I'm always really weary lately. I mean, don't get me wrong. I didn't always think like this, but something I've been thinking about a lot lately is I'm, I'm a little scared. And I think coaching wise that we shut some things off when we say, oh, that kid's entitled. I think we're all entitled, right? Mm-hmm. In, a, in a certain fashion. But I think like you're saying here, what your point more is, is that we need to recognize that we're all entitled and that if we want to make it, we need to address it. Absolutely. You know and that's, and that's kind of why I think I'm, I'm not blaming the kids because yeah. that's something that's implemented and reinforced from people that are allowing them to do that. For so, sure. and, and that's kind of why I mentioned, I mean, I attest a lot of my success to my travel ball teams growing up because, yeah. you know, I was coached by Corey Snyder, 10 year big leaguer. And yeah. a lot of these kids are in teams are based political. I mean, he didn't yeah. care. It was, you know, if you're For good, sure. you're going to play. Absolutely. And, I think having that mentality instilled in me at a young age, that's yeah. just kind of what I expected. If, if, if I wasn't good enough, I'm not going to play. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's Where, how it is. I mean, that's that, how it is. I mean, and, and I, I tell the kids that the other day, I said, I said, listen, the, the difference is, is like when you go to a division one school, a lot of these coaches are on like one year contracts, or even if they're on a couple year contracts, they need to, they need to put up numbers. You know, they're, they're, it's competitive nowadays. Now that you can reach and you can get a lot of coaches in and you can get a lot of guys that are, can use data and a lot of other things to be successful, you know, and um, it's just really competitive. And I said, so if, you know, if you go there and you're not producing, you know, they, I mean, don't get me wrong. Yeah. Like they care about you as a person at the same time too. Like I, I used to tell people when I was a regional manager, like, look, I love my mama, but she can't work for me if she ain't producing, you know, yeah. like at the end of the day, this is business. Right. And then when you go to those schools and you're at a division one, even though you're not getting paid, it's a business, you know, like you got to produce, you're getting, you're basically getting paid a scholarship in food or whatever your, your, your deal is set up, right. Housing or whatever to produce and to put up numbers and to compete and be a competitor. And like, if you don't, if you don't put up numbers and you don't do those things and you don't show up and, 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 and grind, they're going to find somebody else. Because again, like you said, there's, there's thousands of players that want to go play at the next level. Everybody wants to play at the next level, you know? So um, I think that's a big, that's a big part of it is, is, you know, we can't put in a position where, you know, again, even though we love the kids, I'm like, like, I, I love my players to death. Like I love them probably more than I've loved any team that I've ever coached. But the thing is, is like, I love them enough to hold them accountable, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and I love them enough not to set them up to fail, you know, and I love them enough to know what it takes and not, I think the worst thing you can do as a leader is pat them on the back. Tell them what they're doing is going to lead them to where they want to get and then failing them at the end because you didn't line them up because you told them that what they were doing was going to make it, is going to have them make it. And I think that's just a a big point, you know, and when it comes to entitlement, you know, again, I don't know how many of you guys follow me on Twitter either, but also with that, one of the tweets, and I know, Bo, me and you've talked about that too, is, you know, having privilege isn't a bad thing. Having water, having a a nice field that the other teams did before you, or having, again, a, a lot of opportunities around you. Privilege, privilege is not a problem as long as it's seen as opportunity and not that it's owed to you. And I think that's the problem. You know, again, we all compete today so that, you know, again, our kids can stand on our shoulders and do less of the work that we, me and you had to deal with instead of having to deal with, you know, me and you trying to get our, our video out nowadays, you know, they can post a video within 10 seconds of them hitting a home run. And that's great. It's a great privilege. It's a great opportunity, but it's not a spot of entitlement that you, that you feel like you can go on social media and again, say anything you want to, or you have the right to, you know, do these other things. Like it's an opportunity to market yourself and it should be seen as such, you know, and, and, and respected as such. Yep. This is kind of off topic, but it kind of plays in. I think your answer will play into it, you know, with, with you having played at at the junior college level, NAIA level and division one level, and then, you know, me playing at the two levels. I remember we'd always talk about what separates division one athletes from other levels. And mm. I think it encompasses a lot of what we've talked about today, but yeah. what do you think the biggest thing that separates that from? 
for maybe those NAIA guys or or some of those junior college guys? Well, one thing I think we need to be careful of is there's some really good programs at every level, right? Yeah. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, don't get me wrong. There's some junior college teams that are unbelievable and will smash some Division One teams, yeah. right? And there is some NAIA teams, like, you know, even our team, you know, we led the nation in home runs and average and all those other things. Like, you know, we, we would have beat some pretty good D1 teams, right? 100%. But at the same time, with the same token, it does take a little more, in my opinion, a little bit more adversity to become a Division One athlete and be in that top 1%. Because, and me and you have talked about this, is because it's a holistic, when you become at that level, because of what the NCAA has done a great job um, of doing things with grades and doing things with transfers and doing things with Again, everything that it takes to be a Division One athlete. That's why some people will argue that they need to get paid because of what it takes. You know, they're not just showing up. I mean, I I, I talked to um, some of these kids that play on Utah out here, and uh, when they played, they were playing the other day. They're like, man, I, you know, I haven't had a chance to go to classes in like three weeks. You know, because they've been traveling and going here and going there, but they're still expected to uphold the same grades, if not higher. And because some of these requirements are kind of crazy. I mean, with NCAA and certain factors of like, you know, me and you talked about that. I was a three-year transfer out of JUCO and I had to have my, not only my AA degree, but also 60% of my bachelor completed. And that sounds all gravy, right? But me and you both know, like, like I wanted to be a criminal justice. I wanted to be a cop. Well, to be a cop, one of the requirements is you have to do an internship for three months from nine to five, yep. right? So as an athlete, how am I going to do that? If I'm a three-year transfer, it's impossible. So how for me to do that, what I need to do, because I would miss every single game and I would miss um, half my practices mm -hmm. is that, you know, you need to change your degree. You know, you have to change your degree because that's the only other option you have if you want to go play at that level. And that's a sacrifice that you have to make if that's truly your dream. So to answer your question holistically is I think the biggest separation um, is junior college. Let's be honest. Okay. Junior college. I mean, if you graduated high school, you're in, <laughs> you're yeah. in, you're yeah. in. I mean, that's, it's that simple. You graduated high school, you're in and you can get in. And all, again, there's some, you know, I kind of struggled because again, in California, they don't offer scholarships for junior colleges, which some people don't know. So some of those junior colleges, you got to pay your own way, but to also talk and not to hurt anybody's recruiting efforts here is California does a great job of after you're there for a year, they'll give you in-state and you also have like government, you know, gover governor's grants and things like that, that they were actually paying me five grand a year, um, you know, afterwards where my Pell and all that stuff was coming together. I was actually using it, um, you know, to benefit, like, again, to help me pay for, you know, living and all those other things. Yeah, that would have been additional cost. Again, you know, California does some great things. I think the first year, if you're out of state, California is a tough transition. Um, just because of the the how it works. Again, everybody has their own things. And, you know, I'm sure there's some schools that find ways to, you know, get scholarships, grants or whatever they do. Right. But I think that's the biggest thing is when it comes to it's easier there is if you just have some skill and you graduated high school, you're in. And then let's go NAIA. You got guys that are playing NAIA that are, you know, Latin players that didn't go to school here in, uh, you know, America. And maybe, again, maybe they just got a GED or and again, and half of these guys, you know, me and you play with them. Half these guys don't speak English. Yep. Right. So a lot of these players, it's a great opportunity. It's a need. NAIA is an absolute need to get some of these players looked at, you know, <laughs> absolute need because there is some talent. You're some talented Latin guys that are unbelievable. And they just, again, it shouldn't be grades that hold them back from being one a professional athlete. Mm -hmm. Right. But to speak to the difference of those, again, NAIA, it's a, again, a lot easier to get into right? A lot easier for an athlete to qualify, a lot easier for an athlete to stay eligible, all these other things. When it comes to division one, not only do you need to have, be able to push to adversity, but also the difference there too is that again, I'm not, I'm not speaking to every single NAIA or every single JUCO, just the pressure at a division one level on the coaches, I feel like in general is a little bit more extreme. Um, they have a, they have, they have this need to produce. And because of that, when your know, leadership always trickles down, you know, when it's, when it's pressed upon, you know, from their athletic director and from the president and whatever that that school needs to produce, because, you know, let's say that they're Texas and Texas is known for winning. Um, that's pressure. 
you know, mm-hmm. and they're, they're, that pressure then goes on to the players that there's an expectation. And because of that, there, there are also schools that have an expectation grade-wise. Like say, like, you know, you can't go to Harvard, you can't go to Stanford and have below average grades. So there's adversity there of, and I, and I think it would be great here, and I want you to dive into this. Could you take in, because you played at that Division One level too, just as well as I did. Can you go through what it's like to be a Division One athlete and what your schedule looks like throughout the day so people that I've never experienced that can understand you know, what it takes, um, at that level, um, you know, to, to just show up on, you know, the people that you don't just show up on game day, there's a lot that goes into it. Can you break that down? What a schedule look like for you personally? Going from a high school player to division one, I had a real eye opener. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, just the schedule alone, I, I went to Utah Valley university and the weather here made it extremely taxing and hard for us to get on the field. So our our daily routine in the off season, you know, we we had weights in the morning at six o'clock, and then we had class basically from eight to ten, practice eleven to one thirty, and then a couple classes in the afternoon. And we were required; all freshmen were required to get, I think it was twenty hours of study hall a week. And then, depending on your GPA, the minimum was twenty, and we had some kids that had to get forty hours a week study hall. So. Yeah. And mix in and mix in also your recovery from practice, yep. Yep. You know, your, I mean, your ice baths, your arm care, all that stuff. Yeah. We had a mandatory ice baths Wednesday. We had, um, we had a chiropractor. I mean, I guess it's a blessing. I shouldn't be saying this like it's a negative. I had an opportunity <laughs> sure. to, to, sure. to, to, to see the chiropractor once a week. We had a, um, a team doctor that would come and, and kind of do evaluations. So basically after all that's done, all, all your requirements are done you usually had, I don't know, maybe four or five hours, maybe four or five hours a day to do your homework and get all your study hall in. Yeah. And, you know, you basically have a priority check, you know, am I, am I going to be a great student or am I just going to not? And I mean, I think that's kind of what separates it. You know, talking about in season, you, you mentioned how Utah, they were out of town for three weeks. My freshman year during the month of March, we were in the state of Utah for three days. Not even not not school days, three days total, and two of them were weekends. So we literally were out of town every single school day except one, and we were still we still had I think our our team GPA was three You know we were still required when to to do study hall on the road. I think we had to do ten hours of study hall on the road, and you know you're 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 on a bus basically for a full month, man. It was, it was, it was an eye opener for me for sure. And then you take in, you take in on top of that, not only on top of that, but also too, like, let's take in again, if you need extra help in a class, that's if everything's going great. What happens when you're taking astronomy, you know, and you're in your, you need to know how to do the atomic mass of a black hole or, you know, saying like Mm -hmm. crazy things that like, you know, the classes again, and astronomy is not even that, that was one of my harder classes that I took in college, Mm -hmm. but with that being said, like there's there's a whole bunch of these guys. These guys that are going BYU. Some some of these guys are trying to be doctors. Yep. While they're also trying to be baseball players. I mean, the schedule and how many some of the and then also are being compared to people that are only there for school. You know. Yeah. And again, it's not the person that's there for school that it's you know it's our problem because we're an athlete. Like yeah, if you want to do both, you need to be able to do both, yep. and you need to put the time in. And you you're absolutely right. You need to get your priorities straight. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't. I didn't make a lot of, you know, hour long phone calls and, you know, hanging out with my friends and doing whatever. And just like you said, Bo, that's the minimum, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's if I just want to be the average player, right? Yeah. So if I want to go do extra work, hit in the cage, do, you know, throw extra, extra bullpens, maybe doing again, a different arm care program, or again, I, I, you know, let's say I have an injury and I need to rehab it even more often, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, you know, a lot of our times, you know, when I played, it was, We'd, we'd get to bed. And then on top of that, I was talking about adversity in some different ways. You know, my family didn't have a bunch of money. I was riding my bike to school, you know, mm-hmm. about 15 miles. So and some of my roommates, you know, shout out to uh, Hummy Medina or, you know, uh, uh, Roberto Colon, if you guys are listening, but they know we were all riding bikes as a unit. We were rolling down the street as a unit, you know, mm-hmm. 15 miles, you know, after practice, jumping on the thing, 15 miles, some of our teammates would, you know, uh, would give us um, some rides, you know, back sometimes to do whatever. But I mean, Man, can you imagine, you know, after some of those running days or the squat days or whatever, and we're, you know, we're riding a bike home, like <laughs> my, my legs are killing me, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, 
you know, and you put all that together with, you know, being a young kid, maybe again, not being the most, you know, you're not, your head's not all the way there. You're not fully developed yet. Right. You got mm-hmm. chemical balances all over the place. You got, you got pressures of all of a sudden you're at, you know, you were the man in high school, like you said, and all of a sudden now you're at a D one and, and there's all these dudes around you. This guy that's playing your position is all American. And you know, his name's Bo Callis and he's, you know, saying like, you know what I'm saying? Like you gotta, you gotta produce. Yep. And so you put all those pressures together on top of school. Maybe you're away from home for the first time. You don't know how to spend your money yet. You're eating food maybe that, you know, you're, you got the freedom, you know, you got to watch your diet all of a sudden. You have to monitor all these things. You have to monitor your nutrition all of a sudden. And you mm-hmm. put all those things together, man. I'm telling you, like, it, it, that's why I think it's always amazing when freshmen have crazy years their first year because that's a lot of adjustment within, mm-hmm. you know, three months ago. Three months ago, you were hanging out. You were homecoming, homecoming queen you know, homecoming queen, I mean, or king or whatever. And now all of a sudden you're supposed to be a dude. Um, and that's a lot of pressure and a lot of adjustment. And also, you know, even when you mentioned, you know, some of those guys that are even better, like Harper and those other guys, like I grew up with, you know, those guys. And I mean, don't get me wrong. Harper definitely had some skills over some other people. I mean, absolutely, of course, but also too the pressure that that man was underneath Yep. Um, you know, like I told you stories, you played against them multiple times too, you know, like, you know, he would hit balls off the wall and people would boo him because he's supposed to be the prodigy of baseball. You talk about, you talk about how mentally tough you have to be when everybody's questioning every move. And then also too, you saw in the MLB, when he got to MLB, you got, you got people trying to, trying to slip him up and try to say that he was drinking. And, you know, when he was under the age and stuff like that, like, you know, not only that, not just people trying to help you, but there's people trying to slip you up, oh, yeah. you know? And I mean, you put all that stuff together. It just almost, it almost seems impossible without God. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just like the, the, you put all that together. It almost sounds impossible, but players do it every single day. And that's what, that's the difference though. You know, you, you know, you and I know our schedules are a lot different at Juco. Well, I can tell you obviously from Juco, my schedule is a lot different. And also at NAIA, our schedule is a little bit different too. Um, But again, don't, don't get me wrong. Obviously too, every program's different. You know, we don't want to speak for every single program, but in generalized, you know, across the board. Yeah, for sure. Don't get me wrong. Like you mentioned, there's extreme talent at every level. I mean, of course. That, that team at Sterling, and I know we've talked about it and we had Dinkle on, that team at Southeastern, they have talent that can beat legitimate Division One teams. But that's, that's on the field. Those guys are there because they want to play baseball. Yeah. And I mean, there are a handful of them that, that could probably compete at Division One, but mm. a lot of times at these programs, you're getting judged by what you're doing on the field. And yeah. it, it, it Utah Valley, that was like a quarter of what we were getting judged on was on the field. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that, that expectation was, you know, which I was in a great opportunity at Utah Valley. I mean, I'm not, I was extremely blessed. You know, I was, I was making money to go there. So I'm not saying this is like it was a bad thing, but just the pressure and the expectation was like, you're a dude. Like, I, I, I expect you to be an All-American on the field, and I, and I expect you to be an All-American off the field. And yeah. I know it's kind of like a, a perception of the NAIA, which, which I, I don't think it's as bad as people make it. But at the same time, a lot of those kids just <laughs> want to play baseball. Not all of them. You know, I, yeah. I don't want to speak for all of them because, you know, we, ended, we still ended up there. For sure. But but I I just think that's the perception that that, that that level gets. Yeah. Well, and this is this thing, it the greatest analogy that I can make it to is like you said, the talent on the field absolutely competes, but it matters in what arena. Yep. So when it matters in what arena, it's just like it's just like when, you know, Mayweather goes and fights, you know, Conor McGregor, right? Well, yeah, they're both great fighters, but in what arena, right? Mm-hmm. If you take Mayweather, and again, this is controversial. Some people might be upset about this one. But if you take Mayweather into the octagon and, you know, you've got kicks and all kinds of other things and all kinds of new rules and, you know, again, can he compete? I'm sure he competes. I don't know if he, I don't know if, yeah, obviously he's not going to be as dominant, not even close, but they're both, and they're both great fighters, right? And so you do the same thing in, in baseball, right? Like you have an NAIA player, he's a great baseball player. And then you have an, you have a baseball player, division one, he's a great baseball player. But can he continue to produce along with all of those new quantifications and new rules? With all these limitations, you can't take this supplement. You can't take that supplement. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't have this many coaches. You can't have this many longer practices. A lot of these players, the same thing too. Like, 
you know, division one, there's practice limits, how long mm-hmm. you can practice, right? That's a new limitation, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to alter your schedule around that. Also too, how, there's half the supplements that guys are taking at JUCO or NAIA that you can't take at division one, mm-hmm. right? Or a division two or whatever. Mm-hmm. So under these new qualifications, and again, if you can't, let's say in the NAIA, you and I both know, you know, again, you could have an outfield coach, an infield coach, a head coach, an assistant coach, a JV coaches. You could have 50 coaches and these guys are all helping you. Well, division one, they also limit how many coaches you could have. So you don't get the as much one-on-one time and you can, again, you have volunteers and they can do grad assistance or whatever. But sometimes again, when you start putting the limitations on what guys have to put through to actually produce those same numbers, um, I think that that the arena of where they're competing is also very important and why some people separate the two so much that have done both. Um, yeah. But when it comes to straight talent, if we're talking about straight talent, which is, again, obviously a totally different conversation, straight talent, there's talent everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, there's talent at every level. There's talent at division threes. There's talent at division twos. There's talent at division ones. There's talent at NAIs. There's talent at independent ball. There's talent at JUCOs. There's talent at freaking adult ball on Sundays. Right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's talent everywhere. It's yeah. just under what limitations do I need to produce one day a week like adult ball, or do I need to be division one again? The last three weeks, I haven't been home, haven't slept in my own bed. I'm sleeping on the bus. I'm eating pizza. You know, I mean, I'm I'm taking half the supplements that I really want to take. You know, and like, can you still produce and can you still put up these numbers now? You know, yeah. and that's the difference of arena, and that's the difference of mindset and adversity and how you know how people are approaching some of those things. Um, because when you take away the comforts of home and you take away the comforts of all your friends being around you, again, your homecoming king. And you take away the comforts of your coach that loves you to death because he's had you for the last four years. And all of a sudden now you're a transfer and the guy's like, look, I got you for two years. And if you don't produce, I'm going to get somebody else. It's mm-hmm. a, you know, can you produce now that the guy is not on your team, right? The, and not, not that the coach wants you to fail, but the coach is putting, you know, he's not, he may, he might not, you know, let's say you have a bad fall. You mm-hmm. have a bad fall. He might go, you know, he's going to go with what he's got. You know, it doesn't matter. So um, it's just a different, a different mindset and again some different situations across the board but i think it's really important to take in the arena and everything else that goes into it rather than just being like oh we're on a baseball field let's play a baseball game yep i agree 100 so what what do you think you know what's the biggest thing that you think that holds let's go when let's go one step higher what's the biggest thing that holds guys back, but let's say again, let's say you're a dude in division one, let's say you're a dude, a dude, NAI, whatever level you're at. And then you go to minor leagues. What's the biggest thing that holds back a minor league guy or a guy that, you know, just came and is now in the minor leagues. What do you think that's the biggest hurdle that some of those guys have to deal with once they get to that level? Depending on where you come from, I think the talent jump alone is enough to wean people out period. I mean, I th- I think you have to consider that, you know, a lot of it's the organization, you know, you get there and they, and they want you to hit a different way. And, but overall, I, I just think it's, can you adjust, um, adjustability and being able to be coachable, honestly, because when, when you get to that level of professional baseball, I think everybody's talented. I mean, yeah. maybe not as talented as the next guy, but are, are you able to make adjustments and are you able to be coachable on the go because yeah. the 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 window is so small for some guys if you're not going to make adjustments if you're not going to produce within three weeks you know they'll cut you See, i mean and that and that's and that's the main point i was about to say is that you just hit on is not only adjustments i think at that point obviously if you make it to that level you could probably make adjustments but the speed of your adjustment you make it at bat to at bat, pitch to pitch, you know what I'm saying? Can you make an adjustment like that? You know, where some of those guys, you know, they get signed. Some people are so pumped up, they get signed and they're drafted and then they're cut within three weeks, yep. you know? And people miss that as it's, you might not have that many opportunities. It might be, it's go time. You know, they don't, they don't draft you to say, maybe he could figure it out, you yeah. know, <laughs> they, yep. unless you're, unless you're a high round draft pick, you know, mm-hmm. maybe you're, you're a first round guy and they go, you know what? you know, we invested a million dollars in this guy, you know, let's, let's kind of let him ride for a minute. But mm-hmm. when they get you, when they get you and they draft you at that point, I mean, again, it's a business, you know, it's just as many people that are drafted every single year, which is, do you know exactly how many it is again? It's like 1600 or something like that. 
Yeah, it's, right? I think it's around 1,600. So yeah, so obviously there's 1,600 people cut every year. So at that point, I mean, like when you get there, it's, I think the biggest thing that I think of mentally, and as you go up every single level, it's how quickly you can make an adjustment. Yep. And sometimes, you know, I, I was telling some of the boys as I started getting older and kind of feeling my body a little bit more. And I know Donaldson talks about this a lot about knowing how you move through space is, can you make an adjustment without even swinging? Cause that's another level, right? Maybe you're in the on-deck circle and you feel something and you're like, hold on, you haven't even taken a swing yet. Or maybe you're in on-deck circle and mentally you see that you're in the wrong spot. You know, mentally you're not where you need to be. Maybe you're standing inside the box and your your head's thinking about your elbow or your knee or whatever. And you got a 95 mile an hour fastball that's about to come. And, mm -hmm. and it's, can you catch yourself, call time, step out, get your mind where it needs to be. And this all sounds gravy, right, Bo? But mm -hmm. can you also do it? with two outs, you know, the pressure of, you know, if you probably don't produce this week that you're getting cut and get all of that out of your head and produce right now. Yep. And you mm -hmm. do it right now. And that's, man, it, 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 you know, me and you both know, it sounds a lot easier than it is. I'm, gonna, I'm not, I'm not saying that it might, I made it sound easy, but it definitely, even as hard as that sound may have sounded, it's harder to do it on a oh, consistent absolutely. basis. Absolutely. You know, it's a, it's a challenge. Um, I mean, I think, I think, that's why people that have played the game of baseball and people that have failed, people that have been successful, no matter what, people that understand and watch those big leaguers. I mean, you look at um, Javi Baez, you yeah. know, they're saying this guy might never get out of AAA because he can't make an adjustment. Yeah. And then the next year, he's the everyday second baseman because yeah. his ability to make adjustments. I mean, it's it's so impressive to me, these guys' ability to not only make adjustments, but then do it against the best in the world. It's, yeah. it's, it's really, it's, it's yeah. so impressive. I, you, you really can't even put it into words. It's just, well, it's, and, it's and unbelievable. You, and you and I know another thing is the, another thing on top of the, all of those things too, is just like you said, you're in an organization, me and you both had troubles with this, just at a D one level, getting there, getting there. And you're first off, <laughs> you're a young kid. You're just happy to be there. Right. You're just yeah. happy that someone liked you and did whatever. And you get there and the guy's telling you, you need to do this. And you're like, hold on. Like I, I got here by doing what I was doing. And so you have to go through this balance of, well, I want to be coachable, but at the same time too, sometimes you can be over coachable where you change too much and it actually starts making you fail. So you got to know, you got to know what makes you well. You also need to know how to talk to people, mm -hmm. right? Sometimes you need to know how to sit down with your coach and have a one-on-one -on -one meeting and go, Hey, you know, again, can you have that tough conversation and say, I, I understand what you're trying to get me to do. You know, I agree. I need to work on this and whatever. Uh, but this is also my other perspective of why I don't want to completely fall into this because I feel like I'll start failing in this other area. And that's, and that oh, too, as a young kid, those are tough social skills that you might not have, especially someone that usually to that level, they might be a little bit more of an introvert and maybe somebody that, you know, again, they didn't really go out and party as much or do all these other things because they were too busy playing or practicing or training. So they didn't maybe have as many social you know, all these other social events because they were grinding. So it, it's, it's tough. And then also too, it's always tough to sit down, you know, again, sit across the table from a grown man um, as a younger boy and, and, and have a conversation like that and tell them that you don't agree. Um, well, I, and I, you have a voice. I think to younger players listening, younger college guys that are struggling, don't challenge your coaches, but don't be afraid to go in and ask him or, or, or don't be afraid to go in and have a conversation with him because yep. I mean, I was a freshman, I was hitting 180 and yep. people would always ask my teammates, they're like, how can you just go in and talk to Eric in his office about things? And it's like, how can you not? I mean, you, you, you want to be good and, and you want to be great and you want to move on in life. You have to be able to have conversations with your bosses. You have to. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you know, it's funny too, because when, when I decided to leave, people will always tell you, you know, you, you're just not talented enough. You know, you, you couldn't handle it. And I don't, I don't know about your situation, but it was the opposite. It was, I, I know that my talents and abilities can play, maybe just not for you, you know? Yeah. And and having that conversation and being a man about it, it really made me secure in my decision. Whereas some people will just be miserable and yeah. and, 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 and don't want to talk. I mean, if, 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 if you can't talk, you're going to have a, a hard time in the game of baseball, in my opinion. Sure. For sure. Because, and, and I think the big part of that is because so much about baseball 
we understand, but so much about baseball, we still don't. You know, it comes back to, I think it was Lou Gehrig that said that quote, right? It's amazing how much you don't know about the sport that you played your whole life. Yeah. Right. Isn't that Lou? I think I was Lou Gehrig that said that. But with that being said, like, there's so many things like I, you know, I mean, you talked about that. Like when I'm, when I'm in a hitting practice, there's so much about the swing that like, again, I've studied and again, like, you know, I have opinions on and, and, and whatever, but at the same time too, 50% of the, the time, I feel like I know exactly what's going on. And 50% of the time I'm kind of lost, but because the swing isn't the swing and, and in many parts of baseball, there's this beauty to it that it's an art. And when something's an art, you don't go to Picasso and go, Hey, why did you choose to do a little red dot here? You know, that maybe is what pulls everybody to it. He mm-hmm. doesn't know he's, a, he's an artist. It's how he felt. So yeah. it's like going to Miguel Caprera sometimes. Yeah. He's going to have, sometimes he's going to come to you and go, Oh, well he was throwing this. And in the past I've tried this and it worked or whatever, but also too, you're going to ask him, why'd you do this in certain times in this moment? And he's like, that's how I felt. Yep. And there's an art to it and it's an open skill where it's so dynamic and everybody it's open for people to have conversation. It's open for people to learn and continue to discuss. Um, and it's, and it's something that I, I truly believe that there is no master um, in certain, in a certain ways. You know what I'm saying? I think it's, it's apparent how much of a fail hitting is when you listen to people talk about hitting, especially big leaguers. I mean, you listen to a rod. I was watching a, a Sunday night baseball game and He's talking about swinging down at the baseball yep. just because that's how he felt. I don't mm-hmm. think there's a time where A-Rod ever swung down at a baseball, personally. Yeah, yeah. But it, it, it's how he felt it. And I, I know there was a saying that sometimes the best hitting instructors are the ones that weren't great hitters because yeah. they're obsessed <laughs> with why they failed. Where yeah. sometimes these big league hitters, they, they don't understand mechanics and, and, and they don't really care to. It's yeah. I'm a good hitter and I feel it and I... I can make the adjustments based off what I feel, maybe not what I know. Well, and that's a big thing, like just like you're talking about, talking with conversations with Frank Thomas uh, a couple times. He, when I talked to him about hitting, it wasn't like my elbow, my knee, my, you know, my pinky, my eyelash. Mm-hmm. He's talking about mindset. Yep. You know, that was 90% of the conversation me and him had is mindset, mindset, mindset. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm feeling, I'm feeling. And that was interesting to me because again, he's a big man, you know, he's a big athletic guy that again, he maybe has some unconscious consciousness that his body knows where to go without thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And because of that, really, if he wants his body to move into a certain spot, what he needs to do is he needs to have certain thoughts or certain feels and not, he doesn't really need to know the understanding of, you know, the biological and everything that goes into it and the, 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 you know, the autonomy of everything that's happening in his body for that it to, to produce that result. He just knows by when he, he knows his body's a lot smarter than his head and that when he feels this, the ball goes a long ways and that's, and that's it. And it doesn't mean that what he feels may not be great, a great thing to, you know, his, it's like somebody explaining like the color yellow, like I can't see yellow. Explain that to me. Uh, how many times is everybody going to explain yellow? And then you're, you're going to be like, I I still don't get it. It's a feeling or like, you know, tell me what, you know, and and when you're trying to describe a feeling, a feeling is different from person to person. Mm -hmm. And so I think so much about baseball is an art and a feeling that it's so hard and it keeps it so open because every person has different levers, length of levers, different strength, flexibilities, mobilities, uh, mental capacities, you know, um, mental deficits, all those things, right? That it's every every player is unique. They might fall into two similar categories, but generally every hitter is going to teach you something different. Yeah. And every hitter you talk to is going to feel something different. And it's just, it, it, that's what I think makes it so interesting and open to discussion. And I mean, frankly, I think that's why we have a podcast. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's just, it's so, it's so different in that way. Maybe to end it, simplify in your simplified approach to hitting okay what would you say encompasses that my simplified approach to hitting and let me state it with this first i heard this quote one time things should be simple but no simpler right Mm -hmm. simple as possible but no simpler that was the quote everything should be as simple as possible but no simpler and so the swing is a pretty complex thing but also with that being said, if I had to simplify it, I think what it comes down to is being comfortable, right? 
having rhythm, gathering your weight, getting separated, and finishing, you know, through the ball with extension, showing the ball where you want it to go. So, I I mean, if I can make it as simple as possible, again, those are more principles than they are like, you know, again, elbow, knee, whatever, but more of just the same thing. Yeah. Being, being relaxed, rhythm, gathering, getting separated and and finding extension, you know what I'm saying? Getting through a baseball. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot more things that go into it. Obviously you and I know we could talk about hitting for hours, but I mean, I think those are good principles to go through. What would, would be yours if you had to simplify it as, as simple as you could? I think I'd even go a little bit more simple with just because I had to as a player. For me, balance, maintaining your weight, mm. and getting through the baseball. Mm. I think those three things, because you know, if, if you're on balance and you can maintain your weight, you're yeah. going to have a good gather. Yeah. And when you finish you're still going to be in a good hitting position. Yeah. And just like you said, you know, the the more simple you can make it, the more repeatable your movements will be. Sure. I just think slowing the game down, maintaining your balance and posture and getting through the baseball. Yeah. And to and to counter both of the things that we just said, it sounds simple. <laughs> yeah. But when you actually dive into it, again, every hitter is different. Um, I mean, I, I think of it like a science, you know, like because it is a science. I mean, obviously. But, you know, you're creating force. The science of creating force, it means it's physics, right? So, and you're creating angles. And as you're hitting, you're creating angles. There's a lot of dynamics to it. There's a lot of data. There's a lot of great things that are coming from the game right now. But with that also being said, I think a big part of it, and me and you've talked about that as well, is just that sometimes I think people try to make it too simple. You know, they just want to say, basically what they say is the ones that get it and hit it. Well, it's just the simple. I see the ball, I hit the ball, right? But also too, that's the ones that are feeling well. And that are on and they're kicking. When I was when I was crushing baseballs, I was just seeing the ball and getting hitting the ball too. But also too, when I was struggling seeing the ball and hitting the ball, it just all of a sudden didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> so so I think yeah, I, I wish I could see it. Um, so yeah, so I think I think it comes. There's there's a lot of dynamics to it, but I, I'm very I'm very cautious to make something that's pretty complex. And maybe I think it's a little bit more complex just because of how much me and you have div- dove into it. But at the same time too. There's some principles and some checkpoints that if we can get to some of these areas, your swing doesn't have to be perfect for you to be good. I mean, if that for that to be said, I mean, look at Johnny Damon's swing. I mean, good God gracious. You know what I'm saying? Like he had one of the worst swings in all of baseball and that guy could still hit. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think you need to be perfect to hit. I think there's a there's a difference between having a great swing and being a great hitter. You know, there's some swings in the game that, you know, maybe Hunter Pence or even Miguel Cabrera or even Jose Altuve, I saw him, you know, throw his bat out and hit a ball for a single one day. It was the ugliest thing on the planet. But at the same time, too, if you look at it from an art, it's kind of beautiful, yeah. you know, um, that he's able still to create some angles to create a hit. You know, that's the difference between being a great hitter and being a good and having a good swing. So sure. there's a lot of it that goes into it. I mean, there's some guys that with, with gorgeous swings that mean you both know that, you know, couldn't hit a lick. They're five. They call them five o'clock hitters, right? So, um, so there's there's a lot that goes into it. But I think a, a big thing is people try to make it sometimes try to oversimple, oversimplify things. And sometimes, again, just like that original statement I made at the beginning, things need to be simple, but no simpler. You know, simple as possible, but no simpler. As always, guys, this call takeaway um, was sponsored by Quality at Bats. Go ahead and you know make sure you guys visit qualityatbats.com um, and 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 purchase some of his products. You know he has some great things going on over there. You know Steve is the master of the mind and he's got a whole whole another side of the game. Um, guys, make sure to visit him. He's done a lot of great things and trying to produce for you guys and get you guys material too. So, but what do you think your your biggest call takeaway would be from our our conversation? We kind of hit on a wide variety of things. I mean, even more than we intended. But I think the biggest thing to the listeners is just being able to handle adversity. And the younger you can understand that you need to handle failure and take that in a successful way, I think you'll put yourself in a better position to, depending on your talent level for, for college recruiters or pro scouts, the game of baseball, it's, it's, it's a game of failure and you're going to face adversity. So just, just mental toughness. I think I think that's the biggest thing for me is is constantly working on it. It's a big part of the game, so you have to put, in my opinion, just as much time as you do your your physical talents and abilities as well. But not more, yeah, um, for sure. That's mine. What about you? Yeah, the biggest thing is is it's so different from person to person. It's an art. 
I think, you know, a lot of things of you sharing your experiencing and, and the more you experience baseball and you're around the game and you watch the game and you get around it and you, you see it from, you know, umpiring perspective and you see it from a coaching perspective and you see it as a player perspective and you see it from, you know, a, a trainer's perspective and you see it from all these other, you know, different perspectives. I think that you start to get a better picture of what's really going on, but at the same time too, um, we got a lot more to learn. So I think the biggest part of that is just being open to new ideas, to being a lifelong learner and being open to how somebody thinks about something and not turning them completely off because it isn't how you perceive it. So, so I think, I think that would be my, my biggest call takeaway guys, as, as Bo mentioned, you know, we're going to do, we're going to do this flash sale. And again, it's just, again, out of love and appreciation for you guys. I mean, shoot, we're starting to get, we're starting to get to the point, you know, margin wise that we're just starting to give away stuff for free, humbo. So, so no, it's, it's, it's awesome. Again, we love you guys. We're just trying to take care of you guys. Um, Again, we want you guys to look like you're part of the team. We want you guys to have your team uniform, you know? And so we appreciate you guys and all the love you guys have shown us. Again, if you think this call would help somebody, you think that, you know, this would help a young coach or maybe, again, maybe someone that's thinking through some of these things that would appreciate this conversation. You, you, you have seen some of our past episodes, sharing some of those, following us on social media. You got some of you guys love us on Twitter, man. We need some love on Instagram too. Tell them, Bo. We need some yeah. love on Instagram, you know, we, there's a lot of posts on there. We, you know, we put out, you know, uh, visuals and a lot of great things on there that for you guys as well. Um, and also too, guys, just to let you know, we we're about to dive into too. We're going to start having releasing, you know, vlogs and things of uh, daily videos from me and uh, Bo. Um, and so we're going to reach out some information from there. So definitely want to follow us on all of our social media and take us on, um, on that as well. But anyways, guys, I appreciate you again. And until next time, farm system out. Ah!